Well, good morning. Is this okay that I stand down here? You all right with that? Try to get where I can see people and don't get blocked by the pillars. This is going to be interesting here. <laughs> it's fine. It's not a problem. <laughs> um, just give you a little bit more information in case you're not familiar with the alliance or the district or how this all works. Um, so the Christian Missionary Alliance broke 2,000 churches across the United States and then even way more across the world. Um, we are broken into districts in our uh, in the United States. We are called the Eastern Pennsylvania District. So literally you draw a line right down through the center of the state, just west of State College. And anything to the east of that would be the Eastern District and anything to the west of that would be the Western District. Good. Western PA District. Good. Okay, you're with me. Um, we have 87 churches in the Eastern PA District. I work at a district office. We have a district superintendent, and we have two that are assistants to the district superintendent. I'm one of those. So that's that's how that's how our connection is here. Um, so our the way our governance is set up, we have we have churches that fall under the authority of districts who fall under the authority of, an, of our national office, which works with a, all linked in through district conferences and councils and so forth. So I'm here today. Um, I was here one other time. Been in this role now for about three and a half years, three and a quarter years, I guess it is. And uh, I was here one other time. I think preached that Sunday, but it was about two and a half years ago. I just remember it was snowing, and although that's probably 80% of your year up here, I'm guessing. <laughs> Our office is in Middletown. We don't get quite as much. Well, we get sometimes we get as much snow as you guys. Anyways. So, why am I here today? First of all, I want to say thank you to the worship team. Where are you? There's some. There's a worship team. To people, thank you, thank you. Two phrases that stuck out to me in the worship song. I, wrote, I took time and wrote them down while I was. Uh, and that one song in particular just touched my heart today. Refuge of strength to the end. That's our God and the anchor of hope. Love those two phrases today. They they ministered to my heart. So thank you, worship team. Uh, for sharing with us this morning, leading us in worship, leading us before our, our great God. So I travel a lot. I always have, seems like. Before I was in full-time ministry, I had my own business, and I traveled a lot with that too, even more so than I travel now. But I do travel quite a bit. In one of my travels, I was traveling from, I live in Dillsburg area, you know where that is, south of Harrisburg, towards Gettysburg. I was traveling from a job I was doing in Lancaster, and I was heading back to to Dillsburg. And I got stuck in, tra in traffic, construction on the highway there, and got stuck in traffic. And I'm sitting literally at a stop in the four-lane highway. As I'm sitting there, you know, just desiring to get home, uh, all of a sudden I look to my left, and in the grass median between the two sets of this divided highway, came a tracker trailer up the median, pushing a car completely sideways with a, with a trail of fire behind it, okay? Ends up that the story, as I found out later, was that the during this all this construction happened, there was this big backup, and this truck driver had fallen asleep when he came up on all this and ended up just driving through the traffic and then literally pushing this car completely sideways, and the fuel tank was leaking and fire was flying. I remember that. 
Those kind of things kind of get seared into your memory. I can remember exactly where I was sitting on the road when that took place, when I looked out my window and see this tractor trailer coming up alongside of me. And that, there's a milepost on the road, but there's this virtual milepost that gets planted in my own journey. My own earthly journey, there's this point in time that gets linked to this event, or the other way around. You can say this event gets linked to that, this point in time. And it becomes a, a spot in my journey that I just don't forget. We all have that. We're all on a journey. We all have these things. If I were to ask you, where were you on 9-11? You would all be able to answer that question. And you could say, there's a point. There's this milepost. There's this virtual milepost in my journey, in my earthly journey. We all have these. But we also have in our earthly journey, there are these kind of things that happen in our life and they become these major moments. You know, most mileposts that you see along the road, you don't even notice them until a traffic report says, hey, there's an accident at such and such a spot. Then all of a sudden you start to pay attention. That tends to be what happens sometimes. And these mileposts are big deals, can be big deals, big points along our way. Well, the same thing happens in our spiritual journeys. We have these virtual Posts, these mileposts, these markers, these major events in our spiritual journeys. I can think back to a number of mine. I can think back to where I was standing in a youth tabernacle at Summit Grove camp when I was nine years old, where I left from that spot and walked up to the front altar and, and accepted Christ as my Savior. I can, I can picture a spot right now when I was in my bedroom at age 17 where I fully surrendered my life to Christ. Say whatever it is, Lord. I can remember my first missions trip, 1983. And I can, a whole bunch more after that. There's these mileposts in our spiritual journey. They mark a certain point. Things that happen that we don't forget. That become part of our journey. Well, that's what I want to focus on today a little bit. I want to focus on our journey. I want you to focus on, you think about your spiritual journey, as well as the journey of your church. The way we're going to do this is I would like to look at a specific part of the journey that the Israelites took and compare and see what we can glean from that for our own lives and for our church. We're going to look at this in three main areas. We're going to focus on a specific part of their journey. We're going to look at it by what I call remembering where we've been, recalculating based on where we are, and recommitting to a future destination. The primary text today is going to be found in Joshua chapter 3, a very familiar story. I hope that God can use it for your in your spiritual walk today. So let me give you a little bit of background as we come up to Joshua chapter 3. So the Israelites, of course, they were enslaved in Egypt. Okay, and then we we understand about the Exodus where they were freed from slavery and headed out towards the promised land. As they got closer to the promised land, they sent 12 spies into Canaan, and it came back, and only two said they could go forward. The other 10 said, no, we can't do this. They didn't have enough faith to want to go forward. So they ended up wandering in a desert for 40 years. Joshua, remember Moses dies, Joshua becomes the new leader, and they advance towards the promised land. And they get to the Jordan River at flood stage. That's where we get to chapter 3. So let me read chapter 3 to you. 
So chapter 3 of Joshua. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are the Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your position and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark, and do not go near it. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. As they took up the took it up, and so they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that they will know that I am with you, as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's water, waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you, and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Gashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites, See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord and of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set forth, set foot in the Jordan River, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the, the Jordan, so when the people broke camp, to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Araba, the Salt Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of Jordan while all of Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. So, I want to start by talking about remembering. This idea of recounting where we've been and what we've been through. In this particular event, this crossing of the Jordan River, this remembering becomes like bookends to the event. Before the event starts and after the event completes, there's this, there's this moment of remembering. So in the front end, if you look at this first bookend, you know, it's kind of uh, sandwiching this, this crossing, uh, we see the, the Israelites um, getting ready to reach, they reach this obstacle, this Jordan River at flood stage, and surely, they're remembering where they've been. I'm sure that they're at this point, they're remembering that, you know, we went to move forward, and we sent out 12 spies, and we didn't have a faith to move forward. We spent 40 years in the desert. And now God's asking us to do this. There's, mem there's a memory there. They're remembering what God is doing. Now, if we track the, his, the whole journey of the Israelites, you'll find that they have been known for having a bad memory. You know, they'll do something, God will do something miraculous. About two days later, they're like, God, we're already going to die. And God takes care of them again. 
And here they are, they're on this roller coaster. And that's just kind of the roller, the Israelites' journey is this roller coaster. But at this point, I picture them as being like they've hit the bottom and are coming back up on their roller coaster. That's where I see them. And they're getting ready to move forward. My guess is they're remembering the last 40 years and saying, well, at least we know where we don't want to be for the next 40 years. But they still were struggling. You know, it says that the, they said they were giants in the land. And they said the walls were too high. It quotes in Deuteronomy says, to the sky was the term that they used about where they were headed. But God's been moving, and God's hands at work here, and God's leading them. And we see them starting to take this step uh, to move forward. So he's remem- they're remembering. So this first bookend of remembrance is this idea of remembering where they've been leading up to this point taking time to retrace our steps in our minds and getting to this point. Then there's going to be a memory at the end. Let me jump to the next bookend. It's going to be after they cross the river. The river. So let me just hold that one off for a second, and let me just take a little, little sidestep here. Let's talk about just a couple things about God that happens in this crossing I would like to point out. There's some aspects of God that I don't think we want to, that we definitely don't want to miss as we think about this crossing. So I want to just talk about those briefly, and then we'll come back to the idea of remembrance and how it applies after they went across. So let's talk about four quick key aspects of God that we can find in this account as they get ready to cross the river. First key aspect of God is that God prepares the way. This was God's plan. God told them they're going to cross the Jordan River. He's taking them to the promised land. He already had it laid out. This was God's plan. So keep in mind that God prepares the way. These are things that can apply to our own lives, too, just like it did to the Israelites. So God prepared the way. Second thing, we, second cool aspect of God, one of the things we can learn from him in this one, is that God leads the way. I love verses 3 and 4. It says, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priest carrying it, you are to move out from your position and follow it. The Ark of the Covenant, this God's presence to the people in this Ark of the Covenant, as the priest would carry it and they would move forward, this is seeing God move. And he said, when you see the Ark of the Covenant move, you're supposed to get out and follow it. Watch for God moving and follow it. And then one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture is verse 4. It says, then you will know which way to go since you've never been this way before. If you think about that, this is so cool to me, and I love, I love this verse. You see God move, and you get out and follow it, and it says, and then you'll know which way to go, because you've never been this way before. It's not that it's all the plan was given to you. It's not that it's all laid out. You know all the details that lie ahead of you. It just says, follow God. And he's going to lead. He already prepared a way. Now he's going to lead the way. And he's going to show you places and take you places you've never been before. That's exciting to me. So God prepared the way. God led the way. God stayed present in the midst of their challenging time. So we, as I read through chapter 3 there, we see that 
the priests go into the water, and it says, stand out in the middle of the river, is what, J is what Joshua tells them. Just go take the Ark of the Covenant, you go out and stand out in the middle of the river. He didn't tell them that the water was going to go, at that point he didn't say the water was going to go back. But they did. They step in the water. As soon as they their feet hit the water, the water stops flowing. It starts to pile up. The, the priests carry the Ark out to the middle of the, of the riverbed and stand firm while the people start crossing the river. Now I think about this. I think about what it must be like to be one of those Israelites crossing that river at that point. Okay? So the priests go out there and they stand. You see the, the water start to pile up. The ground is dry right in front of you now. The water stops flowing. And they're like, go. Go across the river. What do you think the first person did? They probably like ran. That's what I could picture. I picture them just running across there, you know, Hurry up before the water comes in. But this is the whole Israelite nation doing this. We're talking a million plus people. What, this water is continuing to back up as they continue to go across. What if you're one of the ones at the end? What do you think that looks like? I, I am confident that if I was in that trek with them, if I was in the midst of that, that obstacle, I feel like my eyes would have been turned mostly towards the wall of water. Are you with me on that? But where was God in the midst of this? The presence of God was right in the middle of the riverbed. As they walked across this, and as their eyes were automatically drawn to the wall of water, and wondering when it was going to let loose, at any given moment, they could turn their eyes and see the presence of God in their midst. How many times have we faced a tough time, a struggle, an obstacle, something is going on in our life, and our focus is on the trial. Our focus is on our struggle. Isn't it nice to know God is right there with us. At any time, we can just turn and look to God. Our focus can be realigned. I love that. I love that about our God. God stayed present with them in this midst of the challenge. Fourth and final thing in this point. So God led the way. God, God prepared the way. God led the way. God stayed present in the midst of their struggle. And God followed them out. The last ones to leave the river basin, first ones in were the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Then all the Israelites come back, go across. Then 12 guys come back and grab a stone from the center of the river. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And go back out. And then the priests were the last one out. The Ark, holding the Ark of the Covenant. God's presence was the last thing to leave in that trial. And it talks about when a priest stepped out of, up onto the bank of the river, the water started flowing again. God is our Alpha and our Omega, the first one into our tribal and the last one out. He never leaves us by ourselves. These are just awesome things about God. I love, love this passage. I love how God shows himself and the attributes of him in the midst of this crossing. So I'm going to say it one more time. God prepares the way. 
God leads the way. God stays present in the midst. And God follows him out. Okay, that was an aside. Let's come back to our idea of remembering. So we talked about the way that they would look back on their life and remembering the milestones of their journey. And then we get to they cross the river, and what do they do? The other bookend of remembrance that we see on this particular crossing. In Joshua chapter 4, these exact verses are repeated twice. When God does that, it's pretty important. Okay? And this is what it says in 5 and 7 and also in 21 through 24. This is Joshua saying, um, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones, stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When, the, when it crossed the, Jor- the Jordan and the waters of the Jordan were cut off, these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. God told them, God instructed them if this was over, to set up an altar of remembrance, to grab 12 stones and stack them up as an altar of remembrance so that when their kids and their grandchildren ask them, what do these stones mean? You could relive the story. You could talk about God's faithfulness. God wants us to remember. He instructs us to remember. Our communion tables lots of times will say, do this in remembrance of me. God wants us to remember all the, the feasts of the Old Testament were ways of remembering God's goodness and some attribute about God. When I was when our kids were in school, our kids are a little older now, or in their early 20s, but when they were in high school, they were both in the marching band. Anybody have kids in a marching band? You know what the marching band is like in school? Okay, it's crazy. They were in competitions and stuff. And they did the halftime show during the football games, that kind of stuff, but they did it for competition. Uh, so they did it to halftime shows too when it was a competition, but then he also competed against area and regional schools to compete on how they did their halftime show. Well, my wife and I were very involved in the band with them uh, as volunteers. My wife was a uniform mom. She took care of all the uniforms and made sure they looked good when they went out there and cleaned the mud off their shoes if they came back in and all that kind of stuff. I was a pit dad, so I helped to load the tractor trailer full of equipment that we took with us on every one of these journeys. Um, and I'd help to get the stuff out onto the field and back off the field. And so. so our standard competitions would be a band would you'd get the order of the bands, and the bands would go out, and they would set up on the field, and they would do their show for the judges, and they would leave, and the next band would come on. So I'm out there on the field in the end zone area with our band, and I'm watching them as they come out. to you know, We're standing in the end zone waiting for our turn. We're next up. We're on deck. And the kids are all nervous. You know, this is a big deal to them. They're, they're all nervous, and they're kind of like antsy and turn around. And right before our time to go out in the field, our band director, his name was Doug Riley, would stop and he would just yell these words out. He said, remember who you are and where you come from. And as soon as he said that, our kids would kind of like snap to attention. All of them, they would stop talking. They would focus. And they would realize, you know, we're here on not just for ourselves. We're here for our school. We're here for the whole band and the, and the broader school. 
and they would go out and they would do their performance. It was awesome to watch. You know, sometimes I feel like I need a band director to yell in my ear, remember whose you are. Because sometimes I think we forget that we're children of God. Children of the almighty God. We just need to be reminded. There's value in remembering these things. One more quick little story about remembering. I have this piece of tile in my pocket here. One of the first missions trips I took to Cambodia, we were uh, had a team of guys there with me and young kids on the first one and took multiple, multiple trips back. From that. We've been working with some missionaries over there and doing, doing a lot of work in Cambodia. But I said to our team the one time, I said, I challenge you to pick something up as a remembrance of where you are. We all picked up something, a stone or something. I picked up a piece of tile because this actually was the first job we did while we were there was we laid tile in this little, this gazebo-style building that became the church, the only church in the village. Um, it was just a really cool story. A friend of mine picked up a stone, put it in his pocket, 2011. He still carries that stone in his pocket. It's rounded. I mean, it's like a river stone now. But every time he sticks his hand in his pocket... He thinks of those people in the little village of Angsala. Praise for them. It's good to have things to remember. By the way, your pastor and I, in 2016, I helped to lead a trip back to Cambodia. He got to see these tiles on that little village in Angsala. Great opportunity. Love being on that trip with him. All right. So remember, we know there's value in remembering in our journeys. Okay, so what happens when we get to the next stage? What if we're in one of those spots where it just kind of seems tough? Bring it more to the present. I call this the recalculating stage, a time to like recognize and kind of reassess where we are. You know, I'm convinced if the uh, you know, GPSs are cool, I use them all the time when I'm traveling. So, and GPSs are great, you know, you can put them up there and I'll tell you where you are. That's a cool thing. Now, even if you can say, hey, track my track where I've been, and it'll keep track of where you've been. That's really cool if you're out in the woods hunting and you want to get back to your cabin. That's very helpful. But most GPSs, what we find, what makes them really valuable? It's when you can plug in a destination and they can tell you how to get there. That's the really cool part of a GPS. So I was just picturing you. I love GPSs. I'm thinking, well, what if the Israelites hit a GPS? You know, when they got to the Jordan River, that flood stage, and there they are. This mean, in a sense, God kind of gave them their directions because God said back in Joshua chapter 1 that you're going to go to the promised land and you're going to cross the Jordan River. He told them that. So they knew the destination. If they were following a normal GPS, what would they do when they get there? What would a GPS probably say when they arrived at the side of the Jordan River? Recalculating. That's what it would be doing. It would be like recalculating. Especially if they had live updates because it's flood stage. You know, it's the harvest season. It's the flood stage. When I think about that, I think about those times that if that was me, if I was part of the Israelites again, I'm giving you, I'm sharing about who I am, okay, so you can understand it. What would I do if I got to that point? At flood stage, rivers of flood stage, God said, you're supposed to cross the river. I would say, well, surely it's not here. 
Surely he must mean somewhere up here where it's easier. Or surely he's going to provide a boat <laughs> or something that we can take people across. I mean, I don't know. I would be looking for some, probably looking for something else. It's just what we tend to do. We get into these places in our lives where the path ahead seems unclear and maybe even impossible. And these obstacles in our lives are kind of like being at flood stage, like the river at flood stage. What do we do when we get to a time like that? How do we, how do we deal with those times? Well, I think it's just time where we have to, to take, take a moment and reassess where we are and recheck our destination, make sure that the coordinates are right and so forth. There's nothing wrong with that, with rechecking where we are. How do we do that? Well, first of all, I want to suggest we do that by consecrating ourselves. That's what it says in chapter 3, verse 5. It says, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. What does that mean, consecrate yourself? Why would Joshua have told the people that? The King James Version says to sanctify yourself. What does that mean? It means to be set apart, to dedicate oneself to the Lord. Why we do that? To make sure our communication is right. To make sure our vertical connection, our connection to God is right. So how do we do that? Well, one way to do that is through prayer. Prayer. Talking. Talking. And listening to God. We love to do the first part. We're not always so good at the second part. Talking and listening. Allowing the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to convict us, to speak to us, to lead us, as we place everything before God. Our motives, our actions, our relationships, our pride, our selfishness, our desires our fears, putting them all before God. Prayer. Surrender. What else can we do to consecrate ourselves? We can make a conscious decision to shut out evil. A.B. Simpson, the founder of our of this Christian Missionary Alliance, the denomination we're a part of, in his book, Holy Sanctified, he describes it this way, as we should batten down the hatches. A, a nautical theme, a boat in the middle of a storm, batten down the hatches, close things up so the storm can't come in and capsize the boat. There are times we need to do that in our own lives. Times we need to actually just close out evil. Now, do not take me wrong here. And do not think that I am telling you to not ever step into the world. And shut yourself out from the world. That's not what God's word says. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. There's a difference. I'm saying there are things we need to do sometimes in our life to shut out evil. Not even give it a place to even try to get a foothold in our, door, in our life. A.B. Simpson goes on to ask a few questions. I'm just going to ask, I'll ask you 
these questions you can ponder. He says, is your attention dedicated to God? Are your thoughts dedicated to God? Is your intelligence devoted to know his word and his will? Is your memory dedicated to his truth? Does your whole power of thought and reason and judgment and decision, is it all wholly yielded to him and to know his will? Those are some piercing questions. So during these times of recalculating, as we work through some of these kind of things, opening ourselves up in prayer and seeing, doing an assessment of where we are, surrendering to God, recognizing where we may have actually gotten off track, and it does happen. The Israelites did it. They got off track. They wandered in the desert for 40 years. It happens. We may get to a point where we need to renounce and confess in our own life. Or we may have gotten off track. Maybe our destination isn't right. Maybe we were in this predicament because we chose to go the wrong way. We weren't obedient to what God was telling us to do. That could be. So what do we do if we're at that spot? Let's confess it. Let's renounce it. Let's step back. Maybe we believe the lie that Satan has put in us. As Satan is telling us this lie. We've started believing it, and it got us off track. During this time, God can reveal that. Holy Spirit can reveal that in your life, and you can confess that before him. 1 John 1, 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A time of confession may be in order to restore that right relationship with your heavenly Father. In these recalculating times, they're tough times. They're struggles. There's a working out of your faith that takes place in here. But they can be good. They can be good. As we go through them, and then our, parent, our children or our grandchildren ask us something, we can say, oh, I remember when I was walking through this and God revealed this to me. So we'll tell our stories. They're good opportunities for them. So these times of recalculating, make sure your vertical connection is good. And then make sure the destination is right. So the Israelites get to the river at flood stage. It is the right place. It is a crazy obstacle. It is what God wants them to do. Now what do you do? This brings us to the point of recommitment. Remembered, recalculate, recommit. A sense of new resolve. This whole idea that we've identified a situation and now we have a new determination to reach that destination. We're going to recommit ourselves to it. I think of the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Talk about a determination. They heard the word. They knew what they were supposed to do. It said, go stand in the middle of the river. And God did not separate the water, stop the water from flowing before they got there. He could have. He could have long before, as they were coming up to it, he could have stopped the water and made it easy. But he didn't. He waited until they literally touched their toe in the water. And then he did it. 
They had to have commitment. <laughs> they had to have commitment to walk forward and do that. That's what I'm talking about. Do we have that kind of commitment? Are we ready to move when the time is right? Joshua said in, chapter, in the first part of chapter 3 there, when you see the Ark of the Covenant move, get up and follow it. If we're seeing God move in our life, do we have the commitment to him to say, I'm going to get up and follow? I'm going where you're leading. That's the commitment I'm talking about. Honestly, it may require a realignment of our priorities as Christians, especially. You know, we're good at filling our life with great th- with good things. We do. We can have this great calendar. It can be full of so many things. I'm involved in this Bible study. I'm involved in this prayer meeting. Blah, blah, blah. You, can, you can make your list. You can fill out your calendar. Sometimes we actually make ourselves busy enough that we can keep... It's our, it's our way of saying, but God, I know you want me to do this, but I'm just too busy. God's saying, they, they, you know what God's response is? You're too busy. <laughs> That's what, don't do that. Let's rearrange. Let's reprioritize. I'm asking you to do this. You're telling me you're too busy doing good things. Well, you're missing what I have for you. You're missing the best. We're, Christians are great at this. We're all good at this. We can fill our lives with good things. Maybe in some kind of way we're subconsciously trying to avoid God's call in our life. I don't know. But we do this. So I'm saying there might be an opportunity to realign our priorities. When God, when Joshua took over, listen to the instructions that God gave to Joshua. Very familiar verses, but listen to these. Listen to these promises and blessings. He said in chapter 1, verse 7, he says, Be strong and very courageous, and be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. It's quite a promise that God gave to Joshua. And that he's giving to us. Another cool thing I want to point out in chapter, in chapter 1 before we finish here. Is there were these... Certain tribes were called the fighting tribes for the Israelites, the ones who went out before everybody else, who were armed for battle. And they were the ones to go across the, the river first, always go in front. And when Joshua prepares them to go across the river, he tells them, I want you to go, I want you to prepare for battle, and this is what we're going to do. Here's how they responded to him. Whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And whatever you, wherever you send us, we will go. That's the response. And I think about our response to our God. Shouldn't it be similar? Shouldn't that be our response to him? Whatever you command us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. We should fear our Lord. 
Respect our Lord. Obey Him. Commune with Him. Trust Him. Live for Him. Whatever He commands, wherever He sends, whatever He calls us to do. And just real quick, what's the reward for following that way? John 10.10 says, The thief comes to only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. I'm convinced that God wants to give us an amazing life as we follow after him. So my question to you today is where are you? Today's a good day to remember. Maybe that's where you need to be right now. Maybe you just need to take some time and remember. Maybe it's a day of recalculating for you. Don't know what the circumstances are in your life, but maybe you're in a recalculating spot. Or maybe it's a time to press on with a new and a recommitment to the destination. Do you need to stack up some stones today? Do you need to, do you need to figuratively stack up some stones and say, I need to set an altar of remembrance up? So I can remind myself over and over again of God's faithfulness, God's goodness, God's leading in my life. Are you facing what seems to be an impossible task today? Or an unclear path? Do you need to take some time and just recalculate, to consecrate yourself before God, to focus Take some time and allow him to speak to you and reveal what anything he needs to reveal. Do you need to just recommit? Are you at that point where you say, you know what? I know it. I know it, God. I know it. I've just been dragging my feet with it. I need to move forward. The church today. Path ahead. We might be in that spot right now. We feel like the path ahead is on may seem unclear or difficult. I want to challenge you as a church to remember what God has done for you. Remember what he's already brought you through. Take some time. You know, recalculating time. Take some time. And then recommit to what God has for your future. I am fully convinced that God wants to reach lost people through City Light. I am convinced that God wants to see Christians, believers growing deeper in their faith, falling in love with their Lord, not just learning more knowledge, but falling passionately in love with their God, being transformed. I believe he wants to do that through this church. I'm convinced. So just today could be a day where kind of the rubber meets the road. I want to take some time and just pray for you. So I ask you to bow your heads with me just for a little bit while I, and before I actually pray, I want to read through a couple of things, just a couple of points. And if any of these resonate with you, please feel free just to, 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 to linger there. Just forget anything else I'm saying. Just linger on those spots. All right? So we're in a time of prayer here. Let me ask you, are you willing to consecrate yourself? 
before our God? Are you willing to commit to prayer? Whatever he's asking you to commit to prayer. Will you allow the Holy Spirit to lead you? Will you welcome the conviction of sin and confess your sin before your God? Will you tear down walls and die to self and allow God to use you? Will you surrender your will, your desires, your fear, your pride, Will you allow the Holy Spirit to take control of every aspect of your life? To fill you completely? Will you meditate on His Word? Seek His face? Listen to His directions? And recommit to follow? As we stay in this posture of prayer, I just want to say a closing prayer over you today. If there's anybody that wants, if you have a special prayer spot that God has spoken to you and you just want to raise your hand, let me know that I can conclude you in my, this final prayer. I'd be happy to do that. Just raise your hand if you're, if you want a special, let me include you especially in that in any way. Thank you. Okay. Father God, I want to thank you for this church family. And Father, I pray for each individual here as they reconcile themselves to you. Lord, I pray that these moments ahead would be moments of truly hearing your voice and letting the light of Christ shine in all aspects of our, of our life. Lord, for those who just need to remember, would you bring back to mind what you've done, the way you've been faithful, the way you have worked in their life in the past. May you restore their sense of hope as they look into back over who you are and the amazing attributes that you have. For those, Lord, who are in the middle of one of those really tough times, those unclear moments, those there's times where the path ahead, Lord, whatever they're walking into just seems completely impossible. Don't see how it's going to happen. Doesn't make sense in all human world. Father, would, they, would you help them as they verify, Lord, this is the steps you want for them. And may they never forget that you're going to do it first. You're going to stay with them every moment. And you're going to follow it through to the end. And Father, if there be someone here who's at that point of saying, I know, God, you're asking me to do something. I know that neighbor that you want me to talk to. I know that you want me to change my job. I know whatever it might be, Lord. And they just need to actually take that step and move forward. Lord, I pray that you would... That a sense of commitment to you, Lord, would fall on them in a way today that would be unmistakable and only from you. God, you're a great leader. 
We just want to be humble followers. Meet us today, wherever we are, I pray. In the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.